Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, we'll look back at a frustrating week for the Astros. Some big decisions the Rockets need to look at. And the Texans, me and the Texans, same old, same old. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Curran. Stephen, it's April 19th, and the Astros are 7-8, and eight, sitting in fourth place in the AL West. What do you make of this mess? You know, it's funny, Robert. I was thinking how similar the Astros situation is to the Rockets, at, at least in terms of just being so shorthanded, having so many players out. And in the Astros case, it was, you know, what happened last week with four of their best players out, four of their starters out, you know, five in total for the health and safety protocols. And then you have four relievers, four of your bullpen pitchers out with injuries now, basically on the injured list or who haven't pitched at all, whichever. So, I mean, I guess it's really not that surprising, but it's just, it's crazy how the Astros started out winning six of their first seven. Things were looking good, but you knew there were weaknesses there. I mean, you, you knew they were just below the surface. You want, At least I wondered how long would it take for it to come to light? Well, it didn't take long because for the last couple of weeks, Robert, they just, they have no offense. And the bullpen is struggling because the starters can't go more than four and a third inning. So it really isn't that surprising. But the the good news is that it's still a 162-game season, we hope, if COVID doesn't interrupt anything. So there is still hope. But, uh, yeah, it's just these these last two weeks have been a, a pretty difficult stretch if you're an Astros fan. When you said they were reminding you of the Rockets, I was thinking, did I miss something? Did Altuve demand a trade? What happened? <laughs> no, I meant in terms of just being, just having so many players out. Uh, I think the Astros are certainly in a better situation than the Rockets are in regard to talent and, you know, overall. But boy, the way things have been looking the past two weeks, it it, it just feels like, you know, they can't catch a break. Just like the Rockets, they can't catch a break. Yeah, they won on Sunday. But let's face it, they're they're just a bad team. Right after you and I put up the podcast last week, the Astros had to put five players on the injured list because of COVID protocol. You mentioned it. You know, it's Altuve, Bregman, Jordan, Maldonado, Robel Garcia. You know, from what I read, four of them didn't have COVID. Major League Baseball, though, did not postpone their games like they did the Minnesota Twins, when they had an outbreak this weekend. What do you think about that? Yeah, I thought that was weird. I, I thought for sure that with that many players out, especially you're, you're talking about four of your main starters are out, and the fact that they had to call players from their training facility, which was in Corpus Christi, you know, those guys only had a few hours. They, As I understand it, most of them were on the practice field at the training facility in Corpus, or, you know, the alternate site, basically when they were told to hastily pack a bag and get to Minute Maid Park. They got there an hour before game time, Robert, when they opened, or, you know, the, so when that happened. So, you know, in my mind, what, you know, what if something had happened? What if they'd gotten stuck in trap? Or what if some other delay had happened and they couldn't make it to the game? I am a bit surprised that Major League Baseball didn't just postpone at least that one game until the Astros could make sure they had enough players. And Lance McCullers Jr., who is the the MLBPA representative for the Astros even said so. He said, we were really hoping that the, you know, the game would be postponed until we could get these players in. So 
Yeah, I just shake my head sometimes at the decisions that Major League Baseball makes. Is you know, and I'm sure that if I really analyzed it, the situations might be a little different. But how is the Astros situation different from the Twins? Sounds like a conspiracy theory, Stephen. Is what yeah, you're giving me? Yeah, the Astros are being punished again. Because they're the Astros and they cheated. That has to be it, right? Yes, that's it. That's it. Uh, you know, when they've had success in recent seasons, going back to what's going on in the field, the lineup just doesn't go into slumps with runners in scoring position these last few years. That's been what's so frustrating, Stephen, on the offensive side. It's either all or nothing. When they hit in the clutch like they did to start the year, they were a machine. When they stopped hitting, it was like watching the playoff version. I hate to say this, the playoff version of Bagwell Biggio. I've seen it before. Seen this picture. Yeah, it sure does seem that way. It is either feast or famine, and they have certainly struggled with runners in scoring position. You know, I, I think it was on Friday uh, that Kyle Tucker, he, he left at least seven runners stranded because he couldn't come through when they were in scoring position. So... It has been a big frustration point for the Astros is just not getting those runs across. And, uh, you know, obviously, when you have that many players out of your lineup, when you're talking four of your main starters, things like that are going to happen. But, uh, I mean, that was even happening before these guys were out, Robert. It was it, it was starting to get into a tailspin as far as the offense was concerned. So it's only just been heightened now that these guys are out. You would hope. It wouldn't be all or nothing with so many good hitters like the Astros have. Of course, this is, I'm talking about before when the Magnificent Seven, I call them the Magnificent Seven now, the the seven top guys in your lineup, the, you know, the all-star level guys that they've got. Maybe three of the top seven in the lineup you would figure would be giving you clutch hitting on any particular night. But instead, I hate to use this wording, but it's sort of like a virus and we've had enough of those. <laughs> it's, it's catchy. Yeah. It's almost, you you don't compare almost anything to COVID now is it? Oh, it's a virus. It's spreading. Well, it's spreading to the whole lineup. You know, it's not just Kyle Tucker, but it, it's practically everyone in the lineup that has been having that problem for the last couple of weeks. Now, do you have any dusty Baker gripes this week? Any moves that you didn't like? I, I do, Robert, as a matter of fact, because I, I knew you were going to ask me this question, and, and I've been thinking a lot about it, and it's in regard to the leadoff spot. Now that Jose Altuve is out, I I really was hoping that Dusty would put Carlos Correa in that spot because I just think, you know, why not give him a shot at that? I mean, he, he talked about it during spring training. You know, they looked at it. They ended up going with Altuve, which, you know, didn't seem to be a bad thing when he was in the lineup. But at least in this stretch, you know, now that he is out, why not put Correa at the top of the lineup? He's got all the tools, and no, he's probably not, you know, he wouldn't be a George Springer, you know, replacement per se, but he at least has all the tools that Springer had if he put him in that spot. He tried Kyle Tucker in that. Tucker is struggling. He went with Miles Straw, and we, you know, we knew how that would turn out. We were praying he wouldn't do it to open the season. Thank goodness he didn't. So, yeah, that's my, my dusty gripe for the week is especially with your lineup struggling the way it is and you've got so many guys out, at least put Correa at the top of the order to try to jumpstart the offense and get some people on base. And, you know, and then, of course, the second half of that has to come through. They have to start getting those runners around. But at least put some guy with experience in your leadoff spot. Yeah, I think if Dusty Baker tried to lead off Miles Straw when Jeff Luno was GM, Jeff would take his laptop with all the spreadsheets on it and 
fire it at Dusty Baker's head. Like you are leading off with the worst hitter on the team. You're leading off with him and you've got Michael Brantley, one of the best hitters in baseball, two spots after him. What are you doing, Dusty? What's going on with this? Yeah, and we've always been saying Dusty is old school and he likes the speed in the lineup. Well, the problem with speed in the lineup is that speed is worthless unless you get on base. And if there's one thing that Miles Straw just hasn't done, and I'm not just talking about from a hitting standpoint, but he's got to find more ways to get on base. Once he's on base, you know, he's been stealing more lately and and that's fine, but you've got to get there first. So, yeah, I don't understand it. And, and I'm not an analytics guy, Robert, you know, even – as much as you, but even I know that if you had Correa at the top of your lineup and then Brantley and then just let things fall into place, I think you would have a better shot at jump-starting this offense than putting somebody like Miles Straw at the top or even Kyle Tucker, who, as we said, is, has been struggling mightily no matter where you put him in the lineup lately. I feel like this should be a series with us, Miles Straw podcast, uh, maybe separately from all of this about my Miles Straw issues. And and I, I got to be honest here. You know, my one frustration in this offseason was James Click not signing a legit center fielder. Uh, Miles Straw, not only is he a poor offensive player, he's a mediocre defensive player, as we saw, Stephen, with that drop ball on Sunday that cost what maybe three runs I don't think getting an average center fielder was too much of an ask unless the argument maybe was that Fromber's injury forced the Odorizzi signing which was the money I guess he would have used to sign a legit center fielder I don't know well perhaps but I, I think it it was apparent you know even before Valdez's injury that they really weren't going to go out in the market and and get even an average center fielder so that, that may have added to it, but I, I don't think there was that commitment even before Frommer got injured. Nope. So y- you could put that in there, but uh, no, I, I think this was the plan. And look, Miles has made some great plays earlier in the season, but you, you mentioned the drop ball, and he's, he's certainly no George Springer, and he's not even a Jake Marisnik type, you know, who could come in in the last two innings and, and make you feel secure about the defense in center field if he had to do that. So... We did talk about that as a, a glaring weakness, you know, not just replacing Springer's bat in the lineup, but replacing his defense. I mean, he, he may not have been a, a top flight fielder, but he certainly was, you know, above average as far as center field goes. And Miles Straw, it just hasn't gotten it done in any aspect of the game at this point. There's also this habit Dusty has of they get runners on base, they're in a jam. It's time to bring in a reliever when the guys are in a jam. And he goes with the lefty-righty thing, which means you're bringing out Brandon Taylor or Brooks Raley. And neither one of those guys has stuff. You need strikeout stuff a lot of times where there's a guy on third base, less than two out. You know, how are you going to get out of this without giving up more runs? That bothers me. Well, it bothers me too, Robert. But, you know, now, unfortunately, Blake Taylor is on the injured list when he turned his ankle. So there goes one of your left-handed options. You know, they, they called up, uh, Peter Solomon, he's a right-hander. So, you know, you, you've got that. Uh, you know, Anoli Paredes would have been one that you might put in that situation because he has great stuff and he can throw hard, but he's on the injured list. So I think a lot of it right now, anyway, is the fact that the Astros just don't have a lot of options. The bullpen is just ravaged, not only with injuries, but just being used up with a lot of innings because the starters can't go. But you're right. I mean, he was doing that even before 
these injuries, the, the, at least the two that I just mentioned, started happening. The league is hitting 455 against Joe Smith. What do you do with Ouch. him? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was sure hoping that Joe Smith would, you know, he, he missed all of 2020, of course. He, he opted to sit out, which is his privilege and his right. Um, but what does he have? I think a 14.54 ERA right now. That's not going to cut it. And it, it only makes the fact that the Astros didn't keep Steve Ciszek. I know we talked about this on the podcast, you know, a similar side armor, that they didn't keep him uh, because of Smith's struggles. And you were hoping that Smith might be a good, certainly a good setup option for Ryan Presley. But boy, that just hasn't, hasn't materialized at all. You can only hope that Smith is just still finding his rhythm and then he can get back into it. But man, He's had some hard luck, but he's also thrown some bad pitches of late. Yeah, I, I kind of thought, let's keep C-Sheck and where you've got maybe some options for guys like Abreu. And Abreu's pitched well, so, I mean, I was wrong about maybe, you know, sending Abreu down and, and having him as an option and let, letting him get his, you know, sort of legs back and going this year. I mean, Abreu didn't have a good outing, uh, one, once one of the outings this weekend, but overall... Uh, I think he's been pretty good, but you know, C-Shack, if you look at the numbers with the angels so far this year, cause that's where he ended up, you know, three, six ERA, uh, his whip number's not great. 1.6, but boy, that's better than Joe Smith, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is. And he's only given up. I think he's pitched five innings total for the angels. He's only given up two runs. So it's not bad, but I think, and we may have mentioned it on a previous podcast, Robert, I think one of the reasons that they didn't keep C-Shack is that they wanted guys that had options and when you consider the number of injuries they've had and, and just the, the up and down nature of this pitching staff, they've really needed that. But it, it's been a catch 22 as far as them having options, you know, as putting pitchers in the game. So it, it's just an, another thing to add to the frustration that the Astros have right now. The bullpen was going to be a concern because, you know, they relied on all these young guys last year and the young guys you figure were not likely to do it two years in a row. And you're also relying on somebody like Brooks Raley, who's got no history of doing anything up until last year. So, you know, it's, it's sending out that flare, the signal, where's Pedro Baez? Where's, Hey, Andre scrub. He's, he was one of those young guys, but he might be a big help right now. Well, Andre scrub is still coming back from an injury and uh, Pedro Baez, from what I understand has got a shoulder problem. So again, it, it's just one after another, after another, you know, it, it's, it's just crazy how, you go through stretches where you just you have a freak injury or you know something like what happened to Blake Taylor, what happened to Anoli Paredes, and then you know Pedro Baez, of course, started out on the injured list because of the um, COVID protocol, but apparently he's he's also got some kind of a shoulder problem that that I read about. So man, it just you know when are the Astros going to catch a break? And it just goes to show you can never have too many pitchers because boy they're they're dropping like flies right now, Robert. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on with this, but it feels like, again, we need to get the tiki that Peter Brady brought in. Was it Peter Brady, right, from the, in the Brady Bunch episode? He's the one that, that's jinxed. There's a tiki over the city <laughs> right now. <laughs> that's a great comparison. I hadn't even thought about that. You know, and just when you think things are turning around, that the, you know, the Cougars made the Final Four, the Astros started off 6-1, and one. You were almost afraid, you know, you were holding your breath going, hey, could this be the start of the turnaround? No, apparently not. The Cougars were blown out by Baylor. The Astros have lost six of seven, and 
here we go. We're, we're back to, you know, the Rockets are just being the Rockets this year and doing nothing. So, yeah, the Tiki, you know, whatever it is, the black cat, you know, take it away. <laughs> Get rid of it, please. Just take it away. I was supposed to be mad or I was kind of mad at uh, Dusty for taking out Granky after throwing 91 pitches and eight innings and mowing guys down, rolling along. Um, and then, you know, Granky let him off the hook a little bit after the game where yeah, I think he was quoted by something like saying, you know, yeah, Ryan Presley, you know, he's better at finishing games than I am. Or so. It was something of that nature. But it's real interesting, Stephen, because I, I just remember back in 1987, remember when Nolan Ryan was just he was so angry that they gave him a 115 pitch limit back in 87. And, and, and he was rightly angry because this was a guy that, you know, back in the seventies on a regular basis would have these outings where he throws 200 pitches and it never affected him. It just didn't, he didn't seem to get injured, you know, and now we're like, Oh, well he's it's 91 pitches. It's close to the limit. I don't know if we can give him a complete game. Yeah, to think that uh, if he was as angry as 115 pitches, you you might actually see a Nolan Ryan meltdown if you took him out of a game with 91 pitches. <laughs> if it's the way it is now, I mean things have definitely changed. I'm not so sure for the better, Robert. I don't know. It's you know it's such a hard thing to say, uh, but uh, you know pitchers back in that day and earlier even, you hardly ever saw the bullpen unless they just got into real trouble. Remember in 1980, you know Nolan Ryan was pitching that uh, final game of the uh, playoff series with the Phillies and they took him out and we, you know, the rest was history. We know what happened there. So, but at least Presley came through in this instance and uh, at least Grinky wasn't angry about that, but he is by far the best pitcher the Astros have right now being Zach Grinky. Well, the Astros won one game this week. Oh, terrible. And Hey, the Rockets won one game this week. Great news. <laughs> wow. Yeah, when the Rockets win, you, you definitely have something to talk about. And I, I saw an interesting stat, Robert, and I guess it, it really doesn't surprise me, but it, it did jump out at me, is, you know, the, the Rockets have had double-digit deficits in 42 games this year, Robert. 42, and they lost 40 of them up until Sunday. And they were down again in the first half. And, of course, a lot of that had to do with turnovers and all the usual things we've been talking about. But they managed to come back, get a 14-point lead, almost squandered it, had to fight. You know, it, it was almost like on the edge of your seat holding your breath. Well, are the Rockets going to blow another lead? Well, you know, they, lately they haven't had too many leads to blow. So, But they held on. They beat the Magic. So a win is a win. And at this point with the Rockets, we'll take it. Yeah, don't get too excited because Orlando is running out a, a G League. They basically traded off anybody on the team that was any good. They're basically like the Rockets have been running a G League team pretty much. Yeah, maybe there are some Rockets fans a little nervous about beating Orlando because they're fighting with the Magic for the bottom three in the fade for Cade. Eh, I wouldn't sweat it too much, though. There are three games separating them from Orlando, who's the fourth worst team in the NBA right now. There are just 15 games left. The Rockets have the toughest strength of schedule of any team in the NBA. So that's good news if you were trying to lose some games. And, you know, Stephen, I'm just going to call it a lock that they'll have the best odds for keeping that pick. They'll be in the top three. Well, I certainly think so. And, you know, it's funny. I keep forgetting that they're not playing an 82-game schedule. Uh, What is it, 70? I think so. Yeah, the the season is definitely winding down. You said they have 15 games left. 
I don't see the Rockets uh, doing anything to shatter the fans' hope that they're going to be, you know, be in the, at least in the running to get that top four pick in the draft. The Rockets will definitely have Portland and Milwaukee's first round pick. And if anybody is wondering, if you haven't looked recently, that means they've got the 22nd and 24th pick for the moment anyway, with Portland and Milwaukee. And then the other pick, as we know, is up in the air. It's either theirs or Miami. But Armani Brooks, we got to talk about him a little bit, Stephen, because he is now shooting 52.4% from three. This might sound silly with such a small sample size, but they better sign him to some guaranteed money for next year quickly. His price is shooting up, and he's looking more and more like, think about this, Stephen, he's looking more and more like Baby Duncan Robinson. Baby Duncan Robinson. I like that comparison. It's certainly a good one. And at this point, you know, the the Rockets need something like this. If he can keep it up, yeah, I I would love, obviously, I'm rooting for Armani Brooks. He's a, he's a former Cougar, so i got to root for him. But, yeah, the, the Rockets definitely need to consider him, taking a, a, an even closer look at him. And then, you know, if we can get K.J. Martin, Kevin Porter Jr. to to start playing well on a consistent basis, I'm not saying you, you have a superstar type of thing to build around, but you certainly have something to build around moving forward into next season. And as far as the two late first-round picks – at least, the, you know, they're, they're doing better than the Texans. At least they have first-round picks. So that's saying something, too. After this week, I have not changed my opinion on Kevin Porter. Still not in on him. Yeah, still not. And, and just too much inconsistency. I mean, I think you can hold out more hope for K.J. Martin at this point than K.P.J. Yeah, at least for what Martin were expecting from him, which is just maybe strong role player. This idea, though, that Kevin Porter is going to be a star. I don't see it. I don't, no, I don't see it. No. And I don't know. It's one of those things, Stephen, where if he's not a star, I don't see him as a guy that you can ever pencil in as a role player. He needs the basketball in his hands too much. Yeah. I think he's either going to be a star. Or he's going to flame out. And again, and I know we talked about this, I think on our last podcast, that a lot of it is in your head. I just wonder, does he have the commitment to really work hard enough to make himself the kind of player that the Rockets need him to be? And at this point, Robert, you know, I don't know how you view this, but I don't see that. There's this theory that Steven Silas should be judged on what's happened this season. I disagree with everybody on that because here's why. Now that Harden is gone, Steven, you need a coach who can develop young players. You need a coach who can put them in the best spot to succeed And I'm just going to give you an example. I saw a perfect example in Sunday's Magic game that showed he's not an elite developer in that way. Armani Brooks starts hitting one shot after another, goes five for six from three, late in the third and early in the fourth. At that point, I want to see the Rockets, others, hunting shots for Armani. They need to start setting off-ball screens to get him open. Instead, Armani stays on the floor the rest of that game. He was there all to the end, but he just stands in the corner for one possession after another. Nobody sets a screen. Uh, he isn't trying to run off screens, isn't seem to be trained to run off screens at that point. So for the rest of the game, he takes exactly one more shot, which is a three-pointer. He draws a foul on a possession where he had to go get the basketball himself. If you look at the play-by-play, after he makes that fifth 
three. The score is 96-84, Stephen. The final score was 114-110. It's just poor coaching. You know, that's an interesting point, Robert, and it leads me to something that I've been wondering, well, at least I think since after the 20-game losing streak. And I think I mentioned it to you off the air, off the podcast. But now that you've got into this, and you're absolutely right, I, I don't see a lot of the, you know, we've, we've got some young guys that could be developed, but it, it's not happening. But it does lead me to one question. Is Steven Silas going to be a one-and-done coach for the Rockets? I mean, is it possible that, especially if they just continue to slide, that after this season, that they may reevaluate the fact of whether he can coach this team moving forward, wh- whether they develop through the draft, bring in some free agents? Is he the guy that the Rockets can count on for the future? And look, I, I know that, you know, the Rockets have been like the Astros. They played shorthanded most of the season. They've had that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, to be this bad, and, and, you know, couple that with what you just said about not really being a great player developer. Is it possible that we could see the end of Steven Silas's reign as Rockets coach after the season before it barely gets started, really? Well, let me ask you this then. If you're an NBA team, could you in this time of discussing social change in the NBA so much and that being so much at the forefront of what the NBA has been doing over the last year? Can you give a coach that's an African-American one year to prove himself with everything that happened this year with the Rockets? Well, that, that's certainly that's a valid point, and, and it might be looked at that way. And, I'm not, and don't get me wrong. I'm not looking at it in that sense. I'm not looking at it. It doesn't matter to me you know, whether he's an African-American or not. I'm, I'm looking at just the whole scope of thing, not just the record, but the whole season and, and the way it's unfolded and just the, the direction moving forward. That very well may be, though, the instance that they could say, you know, you've got to give the guy another shot. 35 different starting lineups, by the way. Let's just bring that up. Well, that's right. That's right. So I I, and I'm not throwing it out there saying, oh, they they need to get rid of Steven Silas. Absolutely. He is not the right fit. But it it, to me, it does bear thinking about It, it at least needs to be in the conversation. And I'm not saying you fire Steven Silas myself. But my point with what I'm seeing as far as player development and just other things, you kind of know pretty quickly, I think, if a guy has the potential to be great. I mean, you've got to give a coach time to develop. But at the same point, you know, is, is he the next Greg Popovich? Are we talking about the next Phil Jackson? I, I just don't see I don't see, see it. it. Yeah. No, I don't see that. And, and that's why I'm saying moving forward – Whatever direction the Rockets tend to, uh, are figuring to go in, especially if you're working through the draft and getting some of these picks that you hope will develop into stars, is he the guy that can mold those players? And at this point, I would say not, not really. All right. Well, let's give one positive because we got to wish a happy birthday to Kelly O'Linick, and we got to give the guy a birthday gift and a little bit of shine, maybe. And let's look at his numbers with the Rockets: eighteen and a half points per game. rebounds per game, 60% from the field, 42% from three, which is, you know, that's way over anything that he's done in the past, but who knows? Maybe, maybe it just helps him being in a Rockets uniform, 84% from the line. He's probably the Rockets best free throw shooter. I think the stats show that there's a number called PER, which some of you know is the number that measures all of a player's positive contributions rolled into one. So it sort of 
mathematically includes everything and what he's doing for you in all these different ways. And Kelly Olynyk leads every current Rocket player this year in PER with a 22. For some perspective, his PER with the Rockets is better than Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox, and Jason Tatum this year. You know, I, I like Kelly Olynyk more and more that, that I see him with the Rockets. And, I mean, you know, I remember when, you know, when they traded Oladipo for him and Avery Bradley, your your favorite, you know, LinkedIn contact there, Robert. <laughs> a joke there. But I just feel like Kelly Olynyk. not only are the stats, you know, speaking for themselves, but I really like the way he's just come in. And I, I think he's provided some much-needed leadership. It just, a, if, if nothing else, a steady hand. I would like to see him stay with the Rockets beyond this season. I don't know that it's going to happen. But, you know, the more I watch him play, the, the more I feel like, man, this is a guy we need on the team. He, he's going to be a backup to Christian Wood. You know, he's not going to take over that spot, obviously. But a guy who can come off the bench, provide you with the the kind of quality minutes that the Rockets just desperately need, as well as his leadership abilities, just as calm, cool, and collected as can be. I don't know that we're going to see him there next year, Robert, but I'm hoping for it. And I'm sure you are too. Yeah, it's two guys that I really feel like they've got to sign pretty soon. And that that's uh, Armani Brooks. Like I said, I think that's something that they can do almost immediately. Or, you know, I, I would assume if not now, as soon as the season ends, which should be in about a month, the other guy is Olenek. And, you know, I, I, I don't think he's a guy that you're – building championships around, but he's just a high-end role player. He's become a super-duper high-end role player. And the other thing is, I wish that you said the leadership is something that he helps you with. I'm wishing that the things that he knows how to do on a floor, on on a basketball floor, I, I just want it to rub off on these other guys. Go set some screens. Be the right place defensively. Hustle. You know, there's too many times where I see Christian Wood and Kevin Porter, you know, they get back after a, a bad offensive possession about five seconds later. And I'm, I'm watching him stand there like statues. They're walking back. There's there's no urgency to, you know, there's no professionalism. And, and Olenek, he, he's played on a championship team or, I mean, a finals team last year. And, and he's everywhere. He's hustling all the time. He's doing all the right things. He doesn't treat this like, oh, we're the worst team in the NBA. He's playing like he cares. Yeah, and I don't know how you translate that, Robert. I mean, some guys can do that, and, and some guys just don't. And, and I know, you know, it's been a season where I'm sure every player on that team just wants to get it over with and go home. It's been, you know, such a, a grind, and, you know, with everything going on the past year with COVID, I, I get it. But look, if, if Kelly Olenek who is not a superstar, can do that. If he's able to to hustle and play as if, you know, every game is, you know, they're, they're in contention for the playoff spot, if he can do it, why can't these other guys, especially these younger guys who are watching him do that, why can't it rub off on him? That, that's really my question. And I think when you sign a Kelly Olynyk to an extension, or not to an extension, I guess in this case, but to a new contract in the offseason, the range it's going to be is probably 10 to $15 million per season. You know, maybe it's a little bit more than that, but I don't think so. I think 10 to 15 is what we're talking about. And if you're the Rockets, you know, you're, you're not going anywhere 
fast. You've still got John Wall's contract that you're stuck with for the next couple of years. So what I would do with Olenek is just look at him as, okay, we've got a really good solid role player. We got somebody that can teach these young guys how to act and how to be and how to play. But we also have somebody that if you're talking 10 to $15 million a year, if, if there's a guy that breaks loose that you want, that's got a bigger contract, he's that perfect level of contract that you can combine with somebody else to get you to the point where you can match up for, you know, somebody that, you know, say a Zach Levine, who's saying he's not going to sign an extension this off season. He's going to go into free agency after next year. If Zach Levine is available and the Rockets think, well, we can re-sign him and maybe they have some talks with his agent or something like that. You use a Kelly Olenek to go get a Zach Levine, who's a 40, 50, 90 guy, basically these days. Yeah. And I think that's something that they should look at. And when Christian Wood went down with that injury, you didn't have Kelly Olenek. I mean, you were piecing it together with bailing wire and bubble gum, as a teacher of mine in high school used to say. So when you have a guy like this that's at your disposal, if you can sign him within that range and make that commitment to him, I, I would do it, Robert. I, I would do it because not only does he ta- have the qualities that we've talked about, but you know, if something does happen to Christian Wood again, you've at least got a guy that can come in and give you some quality minutes and do all those things. So I would absolutely at least take a look at it if I were the Rockets, and I'm sure they will. You know, it's just a question of whether you know can they sign him for what they're willing to pay versus what he wants in the offseason. Steven, I've got a little thing that I need you to take care of. I'm going to let you sum up the important information from the Nick Casario press conference Friday. I'll sit back and listen for the next few minutes. What were the 27 (laughs) big revelations for you from that press conference? 27, man, you're you're asking me to work, Robert. Really work. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I mean... As far as the press conference goes, Robert, I just I, I don't have much to say about it. I think that right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, put a question mark at the end. How many times did he say right, right, right? That's that's what I got from the press conference. Yeah, that's what I was I was trying to give you everything that he said in the press conference yeah. in one nice yeah. sentence for you. Twenty seven times was it right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just made it twenty eight. Uh why why do the Texans general managers even have press co- it's the most it's the biggest waste of time of anything in my life is watching a Texans general manager give a press conference i i guess you have to go back to Casserly that might give you some information but come on Rick Smith Brian Gain Bill O'Brien any of those guys going to give you anything good uh, no no and then you have David Culley who yeah he's enthusiastic i mean he's fun he, he looks like you know a boy that's having fun playing football or something, but, but even that's a bit over the top. So, I mean, you get one extreme or the other. Um, I, I guess if, if it just translates to wins on the field and, and playoff runs and Super Bowls, we're not going to have to talk about it as much. But right now the Texans are about as far away from that as you can get. So we're, we're going to talk about it because it just, yeah, it, it just it is, I'd say, painful to watch just because of the Texans being the Texans. It's like, can we just get some real information about what's going on with this team? And we make fun of Nick Casario saying, you know, his pet phrase, right? And we talk about it a lot, right? But <laughs> I want to say this about all of his rights is, do you really believe that a guy that speaks like that is some sort of genius? You know, it's... 
you could say, well, it's just the way he is. But typically, are really smart guys going to do stuff like that when they speak? I don't think so. Do you? Well, probably not. And, uh, you know, again, the, the jury is still out on both these guys, on, on him and David Culley. I mean, this is their first shot at, at doing these the, both particular jobs. So, But I, I think we at least need to give them a chance. I mean, what else do we have to lose? You know, you want Bill O'Brien back? No, I don't think so. So this is what you've got. And, you know, we've got the whole Deshaun thing that we're still trying to deal with if you're a Texans fan. But, yeah, you don't have much to grab at as far as hope for the Texans. And then when you hear them speak – you know, you've you've got a guy like Nick Casario who still doesn't give you much, and then you got David Culley who is just so over the top. I mean, yeah, you love his enthusiasm, but at some point you, you want it to translate into some kind of information that the fans something the fans can really hold on to. And right now the Texans just don't have it with either one of those guys. Well, hopefully next week we will have something more positive with the Astros. Uh, I'm not expecting anything from the Rockets, but. Maybe they'll have something more positive. The Texans are going to be the Texans for a while. So uh, just sort of settle in and ride out the storm, I guess, with that. Uh, just a reminder to everybody, you always know how to get a hold of us. But I just would love to hear from anybody that you're interested in this and you're still listening. Because I don't. is anybody still listening? Does anybody care with the, the Rockets and the Astros and the Texans right now? I mean, I'm trying to... Hold my head above water, and it's not going to be this bad forever. But uh, let us know. Tell us what you think. You know, until next time, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.